VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gregor Robertson. We're with you twice a week throughout the season for all the best reaction and analysis from some of the best football writers in the business. And joining us in the studio today, it is football reporter for The Times, Tom Roddy, and The Times deputy sports editor, James Restall. Coming up, we're going to ask whether Jose Mourinho should stick or twist at Spurs. Hmm. We'll tell you about a new invention that could solve all our VAR problems, and we'll settle the Ronaldo versus Messi debate once and for all. But first, Manchester United are through to the fourth round of the FA Cup, but at what cost? The back page of the Times today reads, United Cup win comes at a price, as Marcus Rashford is forced off just 16 minutes after coming on as a substitute in United's FA Cup win over Wolves. 22-year-old Rashford has scored 22 goals and 37 appearances for club and country this season. That's after 54 games last season and 68 the one before, including, of course, England's 2018 World Cup campaign. In fact, since making his debut back in 2016, so nearly four years ago, no player in England has played more games than Rashford. So the question is, has Rashford been mismanaged by Solskjaer, Tom? That's a remarkable stat about him playing more games than anyone yeah. else in England. Uh, and so, and I think in that case, yes, yes, perhaps. But, but I think it sort of goes back a little bit to to the the, the summer and and failing to bring in in reinforcements. Mm. I mean, you saw Sanchez go out and quite understandably with the situation and Lukaku going, but they, they never they never replaced them. They never had had the guys come in um, and and they're relying on Mason Greenwood as a backup and he's he's a brilliant talent. He's, you know, technically he's possibly even better than Rashford will be. But I I, I think they've missed missed a trick there. It's it does seem as though and I think uh, Solskjaer has spoken uh, about the fact he made a mistake perhaps in, in including him in last night's match, James. I mean, this has misfired altogether for Solskjaer if it is an injury that could cost Rashford some game time down down the line. Um, it is. Um, but what I would say is that it kind of showed where Manchester United's priorities are in that the FA Cup is going to be very important for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer this season. If, if, if United, you know, United, it's going to be very difficult for them, I think, to get into the top four. Um, they haven't shown the consistency or the form that they're going to do it they're obviously still in the Europa League which is a, a priority because it's another route into the Champions League but you know how successful a season would it be for Solskjaer if he was able to stand at Wembley lifting the FA Cup and with the game sort of going nowhere he turned to his bench and threw on the one player who he knew was going to make a difference and, and, and give a spark and he took a risk and he took a gamble and okay it did pay off it didn't pay off in terms of 
of, of Rashford's own fitness. And, you know, we can debate as we are about, you know, whether he's being overused. But I think actually what I found interesting was it, it, it really showed where Solskjaer's priorities actually are. Mm. Do you agree with that, Gregor? Yeah, I think it's also very easy for for supporters either to say that, kind of not understand that players do have a sort of limit to how many games they can play. Um, and then to quickly jump on this as soon as as soon as a player does get injured. When I was looking at those numbers, though, I, I think I played forty games twice in my entire career in a season. Right. So, like, this is these are big numbers, you know. I'm, yeah, I maybe had some injury troubles myself, but that is that is a lot of work on the body, you know. And I think you could even hear from from Solskjaer's interview afterwards. He's clearly had an issue with his with his back for a while. You know, he said he's been struggling with it. Mm. Um, I'm looking at the challenge. It looked like it was a bit unlucky. But I think you, we do have to sort of take into account, and there's a whole wider debate about the number of games people are playing and sort of the expectation and more games in each competition and more competitions arriving. It's, it needs to kind of it needs to come to a point where people look at it and think, how many games is it safe for players to play in really in a season? And I think probably looking at that, Rashford's been overworked. Yeah, I mean that's quite quite damning then, really, to suggest that he has been overworked at such a young age. But it's 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 not uncommon either. It's yeah. understandable. I mean, you look at any player who breaks into a team when they're young, and it's sort of almost expected that you can you can play and play and play, and you and you can to an extent. But he's played a lot of games for a young age, um, and particularly if you're if you have something like a back injury and you're coming off the bench when you're cold and not fully sort of fully ready to get into the game, then that that's also another danger. So, yeah, it's going to be very costly for Manchester United, I think. One thing I would say, I mean, just putting it in comparison with other young forwards who broke through at a very young age, he's played uh, around seventy fewer, uh, sorry, around forty fewer games than Michael Owen at the same age, and seventy fewer games than Wayne Rooney at the same age. Nice. So, um, you know, he's not. I, I don't. You know, and, and we we've seen how with those players, people people said that. Burnout, they, uh, yeah. There was there's the burnout risk, but mm-hmm. I don't. You know, with, with with Rashford, he's not quite at those numbers yet. No, no. So I I don't. You know, I think hopefully for him the next. Hopefully the injury is not too serious, and he could use the next few games being out as a as a way to recharge. Mm. So hopefully no longevity issues for Marcus Rashford certainly, and with the injury to him, and also let's not forget. Harry Kane, who is out until April at the earliest as he undergoes surgery on a torn hamstring. The question inevitably focuses on England and the issues that they could have up front going into the Euros. Uh, Without Marcus Rashford, potentially, without Harry Kane as well, Tom, how big a worry is that for Gareth Southgate? Yeah, I think it's a it's a massive worry. I think March you've got the friendlies against Denmark and Italy, isn't it? Um, when we'll see maybe auditions for the likes of Danny Ings, um, I think he might come in and and deservedly so. Southgate's spoken about playing players on form, and I think Ings, <laughs> there's no player you know in more form than him. Um, and I think we'll see Tammy Abraham getting that audition up up front as well. But but. You know, over the past few years, it's all been designed around Kane and that style of of, of playing fast, attacking football that we've seen in the Premier League. Um, and without without them, um, it, 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 the system falls down a little bit. James, what about for you? If uh, Gareth Southgate has to start looking elsewhere for options up front, who who should he be looking at? I mean, Tom has already highlighted uh, Danny Ings, for example, on 
who is in great form, no doubt. I know on the pod we've spoken about him before and there were some reservations about whether or not he should be included in the England squad. Who do you think he should be looking at, Gareth Southgate? I think the two most encouraging options are Tammy Abraham and Danny Ings. Um, I think Abraham's probably the most natural replacement for Kane in terms of a number nine. Um, the way he kind of holds the ball up and plays his back, plays with his back to goal is, for me, reminiscent of Kane in, in some aspects. But also, I mean, one one real positive with Ings, um, the way Hassan Hootl plays at Southampton is there's this real emphasis on trying to kind of nick the ball off defenders and put a lot of pressure on defenders and win the ball high up the pitch. And a lot of Ings's goals have been from kind of capitalising on these scrappy moments and, 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 the, and, the, and, the, and the gains from putting defenders under pressure. So I think both those attributes could work really well for Southgate in, in an England team. And I think they both could fit in. And I actually think, you know, even if Kane and Rashford have been fit for these friendlies. I'd actually be arguing, why not use this as an opportunity to experiment mm. and to bring in some more players? Because, you know, the, you know you're know, you in a Euro 2020 quarterfinal and you need to turn to a plan B and you haven't tried out all your options. Um, you know, that's, that's what England need. England need to be able... They've got a brilliant first-choice team. Now look for a plan B, a plan C. I think uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's someone who should be in that discussion as well. I think... He's been really, you know, he's always really, really impressed. He's got all the attributes for a top striker, and he's been so strong and powerful. And he's running, and he does all the same things. He, he hounds defenders. He'd be a nightmare to play against. And he's had a goals this year. He's got eight goals in the Premier League. So, I think he should be in the conversation. I wouldn't be surprised if he does get a call up as well. But the next in line is Abraham. So really, if as long as they've got him still, and then you know, Kane is obviously the more long term doubt. I don't think Rashford is someone that they're, they're worried about in mm. that that extent. And he. He's also an option through the middle as well. So I don't think it's kind of crisis point for England yet. Yeah, it's all conjecture right now, of course, with regards to Rashford and to Kane as well. You mentioned Mason Greenwood a little bit earlier on, mm. Tom. If he carries on the form that he's on at Manchester United, could you see him at all, realistically, getting some sort of a nod from, from Gareth Southgate? I think that if it's going to be a replacement, I think it has to be a like-for-like like replacement. And I don't think he would be the spear of an England attack right now, especially for a for a Euros. Um I think they have their a richness in the wide areas. So no, I, I can't see um mm. getting the call up. Nobody has mentioned Jamie Vardy. I can understand why, because obviously it's being talked about a great deal and the fact that he has decided to step away from England. Brendan Rogers, his Leicester manager, of course, has also spoken about that as well and how it seems as though Vardy is adamant he won't be coming back into the England fold. But James, come on, if it really comes down to it and England are struggling for centre-forward options, do you think Southgate will have to do something about it? Will have to try and have a conversation with uh, Jamie Vardy or do you think Southgate might be a bit too proud and not do that? Well I think one of the best things about Southgate during his time as England manager is that he hasn't had to do anything he's been very much his own man um, and I really like the fact that he hasn't tended to look backwards and you know Jamie Vardy has taken this decision for his career and it's it, it's been really beneficial for his career he's in he's in the most clinical form of his life at the moment um, so, and, I, and I think there are enough options in depth for England that they wouldn't have to go back to Jamie Vardy. I think we'd have to be looking at, you know, Kane out, Abraham out, even Calvert-Lewin injured before we should really be looking at having to go back. And that's no disrespect to Jamie Vardy at all, but he's made the choice himself. He doesn't want to go back to England. So, um, yeah, I don't think I don't think we need to go there just yet. 
Well, talking of Harry Kane, his side Tottenham are through to the fourth round of the FA Cup after needing a replay to see off Middlesbrough this week. But where are they right now under Jose Mourinho? They have a tough trip to Nigel Pearson's resurgent Watford in the early kickoff on Saturday, with Mourinho hinting that they need to move fast in the transfer window to stop the slide of injuries and departures, meaning they face the prospect potentially of a third straight league defeat this weekend. Now this week, Jamie Carragher declared on TV that Tottenham need four or five new players just to reach the level they were at under Maurizio Pochettino when they were last involved in title races deep into the season. But have Tottenham really fallen that far, Gregor? Uh, Yes, but I also think that the same would be true whether uh, Mourinho was in charge or Pochettino. I think... I think a lot of people, when when Mourinho got the job, sort of looked at Spurs' team and squad and thought there was the makings of the sort of foundations for a a team that could be successful. But I think really just a lot of players are are fallen below the standards that they've set in the past. Um, And that's not really something that's necessarily, when there's been two managers in the building, it's not not down to them, I don't think. Mm. Um, We've spoken at length about how the squad has been together for so long um, and in possibly in need of a bit of refreshing and I think that is definitely the case I think there's some players who will be moved on uh, in the summer probably not this month because they're down to the bare bones um, and that is they, they have undoubtedly fallen quite a long way behind uh, where they were under Pochettino but that is not just because Pochettino's left and Mourinho's come in I think that the players have, have regressed since two seasons ago when they were you know three seasons ago when they were challenging Leicester for the title. Um, so it's not all down to Mourinho. Mm. Tom has mentioned uh, Jamie Carragher saying they need four or five new players just to reach the level they perhaps were once at. Um, they can't possibly bring four or five players in, in this January transfer window, can they? No, no, certainly not. I mean, there's not the, the money around and everyone knows this isn't the right time to, to be spending. I mean, um, what I thought was interesting, Jedson Fernandez has come in, um, which in, in the position, which I think Tottenham were probably strongest in, um, you're expecting a, a striker to come in. They need a striker, uh, possibly need a, a right back, possibly need a left back. Um so the business so far, I'm, I suspect we will see some reinforcements in attack come in. But th- I think Mourinho, when I when I listen to him talk, it's strange in that it, it almost feels and sounds like a free hit this season for him. I think it's the fact that he's come in midway through and mm. there there are almost the, the perfect excuses in the contract situations and the injuries that have happened that it's almost getting through to the end of the season and that's when his rebuild can happen. Um, and I know situations have changed with the injuries, but it's it's interesting to look back to when Mourinho's first press conference when he came in, he said these players are that was part of the reason he came was for these players and yet the squad and that first team as well has, has, hasn't has changed all that much in about five years I mean I think it's it's been mentioned before that, that Klopp's first game I think there's it was Milner Lalana and Origi that were featured in that game and that's it for Liverpool and they're not first team players for Liverpool or Klopp anymore and in the Tottenham team there were eight players who started or or featured in that game that are still a a 
big part of that first mm. team. So it, it needs it needs freshening up. Yeah, I know it's been mentioned before, but obviously Sir Alex Ferguson always used to talk about a cycle and how you need a, a refresh a refreshment to, mm. to your squad. Is that what this issue is then with Tottenham? That people, that players, sorry, there have have come to an end of their time there, and and Jose Mourinho will need to rebuild from the summer. I don't think it's necessarily just about rebuilding. I think it's about bringing in competition for places because I think with with some with some players, it's quite when there's nobody knocking on the door for your position. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Gregor will be able to to feed into this as well you know I want to ask you do you feel you know if you if you're the only left back in a team you're the number one left back there's no one pushing for your position do you get complacent no I don't know I mean it depends on the circumstances I think uh, obviously if you have real competition for your position then it kind of has a bit of an added sort of motivation um, you know you've got it keeps you on your toes kind of thing but I think it depends on the player as well it's kind of you know, some of these guys have been, you know, stalwarts of the club, and you wouldn't be able to explain why a Vertonghen or an Alderweireld have, have sort of regressed so dramatically. I wouldn't suggest that, you know, the fact that they've maybe look and think they're placing the team safe. Well, it's not even true because they've been dropped for their because their form's been so bad. I think just some it's hard to explain why some of these guys have regressed so much. I also think there's kind of something a bit wider to be said about whether Marine the way Mourinho is going to sort of rebuild this team and take it forward is is going to be able to find success. I think that was part of what Carragher said, was saying, in fact. I think he wasn't just saying they've gone back so far from Pochettino. He means, I think he meant that because he's going to set them up in a very different way, and we saw that, it was highlighted against Liverpool. You know, they're, I think Liverpool played nearly 800 passes or something and they just sat very deep. It's a massive contrast to the way Pochettino's been playing. That he needs certain players to be able to do that, and that's that's a kind of because it's a shift away from Pochettino, that kind of makes the rebuild all the more. So, um, I think I think it's not all down to Mourinho, but I think that kind of shift in in the way that they're playing as well is is a factor. Well, let's try, shall we? At being Jose Mourinho, I'm going to give you all endless amounts of money. So, <laughs> if you need to uh, bring in someone, if you want to back someone, this is down to you right now. So, we're going to go through some of the Tottenham squad uh, and make a decision on where their future lies. So, Tom, I'm going to come to you first. Hugo Lloris, back or bin? Uh, bin, for me. Bin, bin Lloris, yes. okay. Why? Well, I think... I think... I, I wondered, you know, before that awful injury at Brighton, I wondered whether Gazaniga was going to get a chance anyway because he was he was making a lot of mistakes. Um, I don't think he was by by then. I don't think he was in the top category of keepers in in the Premier League like he once was. And you know, I know I know he is a World Cup winner. I know he's a good keeper, but um, I don't think he's a he's a he's a world class keeper anymore. All in agreement, or anyone make the case for Larice? Oh, I'm in agreement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm in agreement. Oh, sorry, Hugo. Uh, ben <laughs> Davis, uh, James, back or bin? Uh, I'd back him. Do you? I'd okay. Back him. Why? I, I think he's. I think he's a very good left back. Okay, Gregor, do you agree? I agree because the next one's Danny Rose and he's getting binned. So <laughs> <laughs> you can't bend them both. <laughs> They're gonna have to bring someone in. And uh, okay. So you so stick yeah, with Ben. I'll stick with Davis. Danny's out. Danny's getting the elbow, yeah. Oh, and, th- and that is based on? Well, I think he's another one who's gone backwards and he's he's tipping tip beyond 30, although I hated that, that myself when I was playing the thing. I know, it's just a number. Compassion. It's just a number. But he has. He's, he's, he's not playing in any way 
near the kind of form he has been in the past. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think really they've been trying to get him out for the past 18 months or so. So the time has come. Eric Lamella, Tom? Oh, I'd back him. And I think it's... um, I think we're going to see him be quite a, a crucial part of Mourinho's team as well because he, he likes him. I mean, he, he was he was using Lamella to almost to criticise Ndombele um, a few weeks ago where he said, um, you know, he came to me, he hadn't trained for 52 days and he came to me and said, I can play 10 minutes and Ndombele said, I'm not ready. Um, you know, I, I'm scared I'll get injured. And mm. So he, he likes players like that, doesn't he? Is that, that kind of siege mentality and I'll do whatever you want. Yeah, that blood, sweat and tears. Mm. That's what he wants to see. Musa Sissoko, James? Uh, I'd back him. Yeah, why? Um, I think he's, in the last couple of seasons, shown real improvement, um, particularly sort of playing more centrally. Yes, he needs to improve his finishing. Um, I think he can get his final product can be much better, but I think um, the dynamism he offers Tottenham, I think he's a plus. A couple of other defenders for us to look at. Serge Aurier, Gregor. Ben. Oh. He's improved... Slightly since Mourinho's come in, especially in an attacking sense, he's putting some lovely crosses for for a few goals. Um, but I think that's an area that Tottenham have needed to to strengthen for a while. Um, and I think you know he is just a little bit of a liability defensively at times, so I think he needs to be moved on as well. So Serge Aurier gets the bin. Yang the Tong and Tom. Um. Still up in the air about his future. Yeah, no, I think he's. I think he's been for me as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, it's it, he's been. He's been one of the ones who's been in regression. I mean, the other. He he was playing the way Mourinho likes to play is almost with that uh, fluid back back three where he'll play with a. Aurier in front recently, Aurier in front of Tanganga, or what he wanted to do at the beginning with Ben Davies at left back so he could get forward, then Vertonghen could slide across and act as like a back three. And I just don't think Vertonghen can do that job anymore. So, Bin. Bing for Jan Vertonghen. I know. I wonder if it's that easy for Jose Mourinho. Um, lastly, James, Harry Winks. Oh, back. Back. Definitely yes. back. Yeah. Lots of potential with him. Lots, lots of potential. And also, you know, I, I actually think of him in an England shirt as well. And I, I think he's been very, very composed on the ball for England. And, you know, there's somebody there with, with vast potential. Um, it'd be mad to get rid of him. I know, Gregor, you were obviously worried when Jose Mourinho came in for the future of Harry Winks. Do you still have that same concern? Well, yeah, I think that's been kind of well-founded, you know. It's... Oh, tick, tick <laughs> for Gregor. Well, he was, you know, he kind of, he was on cloud nine, Everyone was speaking about him as the, the kind of guy that, the missing piece of of England's puzzle for midfield. You know, he might be the the pivot, um, at the Euros, and then a couple of weeks later, the manager changes and he's not. He can't get a game, and he's played a couple of games recently. But I still think his place in in a Mourinho team is very uncertain. It's on shaky ground. Um, but I think he would be mad to get rid of him too. I think I don't think the club would would want to do that, and that might kind of create a situation that he had similar to Manchester United where he said I want this player and they said no and you know there's some kind of little bit of uh, friction sort of of appears between them Um, and I I think the fans would take it very badly as well because they really like him they see a a technical player who came through the the youth ranks Um, so I don't think he will go but I don't think his future is, is looking very secure under Mourinho either there has been one arrival, we should point out, in the arrival of Judson Fernandez on loan from Benfica with a view 
to making that one permanent after this 18-month loan spell. Um, he's a youngster. A lot of pressure, perhaps, on him coming in, but maybe we shouldn't have a huge expectation on him to be a, a massive game-changer for, for Tottenham. Tom? Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how much he plays straight away, yeah. arriving in January. Um, 21 years old, hasn't... I think it was his toe he broke last summer, so he hasn't played a whole lot um, for Benfica. Um but I just—he's—he's he's a versatile player as well. He's—he—he he can he can play on the wings, box to box midfielder. So who he replaces um, in that team, I'm 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 not so sure um, at the moment. But I think with Winks, he's he possesses that quality on the ball and the transition from defence to attack that Tottenham have lacked this season. So I don't know why he or why he doesn't play more. Um, in this Mourinho team, I think it's possibly because he's slower and not so good off the ball. Um, but I think they do miss him. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hooray, hurrah, behold, we may well have the saviour of VAR. <laughs> and it could come in the form of Hawkeye, the company that has implemented technological advances in cricket, rugby, and football have developed an automatic offside system which has been closely monitored by FIFA. Now, this is all explained in The Times by Matt Dickinson. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Uh, Our resident cheerleader of VAR. He says this, As a pass is made, an attacker is offside by a few centimetres, a heel, a big toe. A real-time computer simulation of the player's body tracks his position in relation to the last defender, plus the movement of the ball, and in instantly sends a signal to a linesman or referee. It is, he says, an automated system like goal line technology that instructs the assistant to raise his flag at that speed. Is anyone complaining about armpit offsides or saying that the game was not meant to be decided by such small margins? Indeed, at that speed, does anyone actually care if there is some margin for error as long as the system is fast and credible? So, technology, it seems, is working on the offside situation, which many have been so critical of when it comes to VAR this season. Are we in favour of this? Is this the saviour that we've been all looking for, James? 
I would say no. Um, oh. I would say no. <laughs> I, 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 I'm thinking this is our knight in shining armour, no? My, <sighs> the problem is, I think, with VAR is that we're kind of, no matter how good the technology gets and no matter how much you strive for accuracy, you can never be completely accurate with the technology. Um, if we look at how Hawkeye operates in cricket, there is a margin of error factored into it. There is an umpire's call. Mm. If the ball is within half a ball of hitting hitting the top of the stumps, it's an umpire's call and it sticks with the on-field umpire's decision because the technology is not completely foolproof to determine whether it would an LBW would or wouldn't have been a wicket. And I think that is the same in football with offsides and with these, you know, the, the VAR, Peter Walton has written in the Times a couple of times recently saying that VAR was never brought in to make to, to, to rule on these absolutely minute offside calls. Um, I actually, my, my personal preference is what they have in America. Now in America, they don't have all the, they don't have the same number of cameras that we do, um, which means they can't um, judge these kind of very small offside calls like we do. Mm-hmm. And their compromise for that is that if there is an offside call, the VARs in the booths are only able to judge using the naked eye. There are no lines drawn. So if it's a ridiculously tight call and they have to go over it again and again and again, they then just say that's not offside. Mm-hmm. So I would I would I'd 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 be in favour of a system where you had that and then if there was still uncertainty, the referee could go and look at the at the at the pitch side monitor and make the final decision themselves. Because I just think you know, you you really are losing something from the game if we are go, if we're gonna try and get absolute minute accuracy on these toenail offsides. Goodness me, Matt Dickinson will not be happy to have heard that, of course. When we were thinking that technology, again, was going to step in and and solve this offside situation, Gregor, I mean, James makes a very good case about actually is technology that accurate, but it sounds as though this is a better system that's less flawed than than VAR is at the moment. Yeah, that's not saying much, though. I think, you know, (laughs) it, it is all about the technology. It would have to be pretty much flawless and that's mm. tough to get to I mean, Matt even points out one one kind of mini flaw in, already and that it goes on the change of direction of, of of the ball that would be the moment of sort of impact that would be you know as if when the, the player kicks the ball say that would be the moment that you would judge the offside line at but what if a player was to get a glance one of those ones where it kind of he, it grazes their hair and the ball doesn't change direction right. that wouldn't be able to to, get up. No, so um, I, I've argued for what, basically what James mm. just said there. At the moment, I think that would be the the best the best solution because if they're so minute, then it, you know you give advan- advantage to the attacker. But I think this is probably something along the lines of what Matt has written about is the direction of travel. I think it's just whether you know you've got to give it time to if they can get it so it's really accurate, then all well and good. And if it can be a kind of split second decision even better but um, I think until that technology exists and we know it works properly then don't go near it and, and one thing I would add is you know I'd want this to be tested over a period of 5-10 years and make sure it's absolutely watertight mm. because a lot of the problems you know it, it does feel this season we're, we're talking about do we need to you know be more do referees need to be more stringent at penalties you know do that do referees need to use the pitch side monitor Um you know, these these should be things that should have been decided before the start of the season. And we can't be adapting throughout a season. You know, we have to be able to, you know, we have to have 
this is what the rules are, this is how it's going to be used. And then and then that clears up any avoidance, that mm. clears up any doubt. I think, if I remember rightly, in the Women's World Cup, I think they went into it with VAR and this was what they were going to do. Then midway through, they decided to change it because it all became a bit complicated. So I see what you're saying with that. Um, Tom, where do you sit on this? Because I, I totally see what James is saying about, you know, the, the way they use it in the US, it, it does seem to make a lot of sense. But if there is some technology that is being trialled, I know it's being trialled at Ashton Gate, for example. They've trialled it as well at the Club World Cup in Qatar recently. So there is potential of more technology coming into the game is that something you would be in favor of um only if it was if it was watertight but i think i would prefer to see human error than technological error um for me i'd rather see the debate continue with you know michael oliver going over to that touchline monitor checking something i, I want to see more of that first of all but if someone's in a studio and they say it's 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 offside or it's onside and they're wrong, I'd rather I'd rather have that than these these lines. To be honest, I'm I'm sick of seeing lines everywhere. Um, so so I, at the moment, no, um, I'd kind of like it to be taken back and 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 reduced to the the on-field referee's decision. Sorry, Matt. It's not. It's not a win for uh, for the guys on the pod today. But who knows? In the future, it may all change. Now we're going to finish with a classic debate on the game podcast today. Does anyone think Cristiano Ronaldo should be considered the greatest footballer of all time? There's a reason we're talking about that, and it's because of this. In his first season for Juventus, Ronaldo scored 28 goals in 43 games, and despite injury problems this season. He already has 16 goals from 23 games, including one in Juve's 2-1 victory away at Roma last weekend, which saw the 34-year-old break another record. He has now scored against every Serie A side he has faced. That is 18 sides. The only teams he hasn't scored against are Brescia and Lecce, but we'll let him off considering he hasn't actually played against those teams yet so that could all change now Ronaldo's also managed to score against every Spanish side he played in La Liga during his time at Real Madrid so should he be the GOAT James um, I I would say I would certainly say he is I'd prefer him over Messi um, the reason being I think he's an amazing example of someone who has worked phenomenally hard season upon season upon season to extract the absolute best of their ability um he's you know the fact that at his age he's still producing the numbers he does he's still producing the um the, the remarkable feats like that header the other week <laughs> where he's you know leaping nearly two feet off the ground um it, 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 he's he's a he's a he's a he's a he's a a piece of physiological genius and I think and I think you know that's where I would that's where I really that's what I admire the most about Ronaldo and his game but could I could I make an honourable mention for Jimmy Greaves oh please um you know 366 top flight goals a record that was only surpassed by Messi and Ronaldo in the last few years he's kind of come back into the conversation recently with Aguero getting becoming the player who's uh, the, the the foreign player with the most Premier League goals, mm. um, and there's an argument for saying we're forgetting kind of all time top flight records. And I do think you know we do when we when we're having these debates, it is good to look back into the sort of mists of time. And I think Jimmy Greaves 
an honourable mention, approaching his 80th birthday is um, yeah, it deserves it deserves a mention in this, I think. It is a lovely mention. Um, lovely that you've highlighted it, but does ruin our debate on Ronaldo. <laughs> um, but yes, of course, we have to acknowledge the achievements of, of Jimmy Greaves. But you've gone for Ronaldo as, as the goat, as the let's goat. say. Yeah. Pickle. Oh, bad seeing that as oh, well. Oh, come on. <laughs> it's awful. Go- you just hear it everywhere. Little goat emojis go- all over I know, Twitter and stuff. I awful. know. Okay, well. I'm getting older, am I? <laughs> emojis aside, where do you stand on this one, Gregor? Who, who, who is the, the goat? Messi or Ronaldo? There's no competition. It's Messi. I really? think, you know, James absolutely backed up all the reasons that kind of are so admirable about, about Ronaldo, about the kind of the work ethic, all the things that m- most mere mortals don't seem to be able to do, you know, to kind of just to focus and dedicate yourself entirely to, to playing football. Um, and I think the only thing that could possibly sort of, I know this this is like an interminable <laughs> debate that go, will go on forever. He could play till he's like 42 or something. <laughs> and I don't think Messi will. I think his powers will wane faster, perhaps. Um, but Messi is... A genius. It's like he's, you know, been touched, touched from above. He does things that, you know, you kind of just awe-inspiring. So, and Ronaldo does those things, but they're more kind of like feats of physical strength and power and and uh, and skill. But he's he's kind of that's something he's worked at and honed and crafted for so many years. So I just, you know, it's always going to be whether you think it's the sort of the graceful little genius or the guy who's who's a machine who's turned himself into one mm. of the greatest footballers there's ever been, but not the greatest. <laughs> you just had to add that one in uh, at the end. I mean, um, Tom, there, there's a lot of debate about some saying that Ronaldo is more of a selfish player, Messi more of a team player. Um, when you look at their stats, uh, Messi, 845 appearances, Ronaldo, 991 uh, assists. Messi tops this one, 282 in comparison to Ronaldo's 220. Goals-wise, well, Messi has 689, Ronaldo 716. Um, oh, where where would you lie on this one? Who 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 is the best of the two for you? I'm in the in the messy camp. I always think of who I'd rather pay to watch over ninety minutes. Who I'd rather put money in my pocket to pay for, and um, it would definitely be Messi because I completely agree um, with James and and with Gregor on the what Ronaldo's done to. You know, he started out as that that winger with the stepovers and everything, and the way he's changed his, his the way he plays is remarkable. And and he's, I think there's, you know, there's Harry Kane's done doing done something similar in the way he just has crafted his career, so he'll be the the best goal scorer he can be, and everything about his life is it revolves around that. And I think that's what Ronaldo's the peak of that, but just for sheer joy of watching football, which is what it's all about, it's Messi. Is there anything, now you've both gone for Messi, and I just want to ask, is there anything that Ronaldo could do that could change your view on him? He could start his career again and play in the same <laughs> way as Messi. <laughs> the, reason I, the reason I say it is, and, and I'm sort of more on James's side here, I, I've always sort of go towards Ronaldo but I always base it and I know some people will say this is you, you shouldn't really base it on this but I do base it on the fact that Ronaldo's done it in several leagues he's done it in England he's done it in Spain and now he's doing it in Italy and really with Messi we've not seen him do it elsewhere and it is that question of 
could he do it at Stoke on a Tuesday night? I don't know. <laughs> no, but do you know what I mean? There is that thing of, you know, maybe for me, if, if we saw Messi ever play somewhere else and he was able to do the same as he's doing at Barcelona, then, then I would start to think actually maybe Messi is the best. Yeah. I don't think he could, though. I don't no. think he necessarily could do, the, do it in another club. Um, I think the... Barcelona is revolved around him. The team mm, always yeah. has been, but I think it's the style of Ronaldo's the in, the the individualistic style that Ronaldo plays with is will make him a success anywhere. Whereas Ronaldo um, Messi's sort of team team ethic and the way he plays means that Barcelona is is where it works for him. I think, like I said, I think longevity could be the thing that. Yeah. I think Ronaldo will have more likely to have in his favour and it could just sort of you know if he goes on another few years longer and maybe wins another Champions League another Champions League another title then you know they, that debate just keeps going on and Messi sort of faded into the background a little bit so who knows we'll soon see we'll never settle this one <laughs> uh, that is it for now many thanks to our guests today Tom Roddy and James Restall remember you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet it's just a pound a week for an eight week trial search The Times subscription for more information and we'll be back on Monday so have a good weekend The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.